Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Inside EMS, the internationally recognized Inside EMS. And I am proud to be with you. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero. And Pulsera is the proud sponsor of this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at pulsera.com slash EMS. And when we talk about network communication, here he is, my friend, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I'm uh, just hanging in there. The, we're seeing our our coronavirus cases spike, and and uh, we're we're right back into the bad old days here in Louisiana, man. So, just. well, really, unfortunately, I think it's everywhere, and I think you know one yeah. of the things that we one of the things that we had talked about earlier in this uh, pandemic. You know, we were doing more shows, and, you know, we, we kind of got a little comfortable. We kind of got a little complacent that things were going to go away. I think that the people that, uh, you know, really are on the front lines understood that it wasn't going to go away. And uh, it looks like we're right back in the mix where we talk about 50,000 cases just in one day across the United States. And it really is something to be worried about, you know, worrisome about, because, you know, the people who were out there doing the work who got a little bit of reprieve, um, they're getting right back in the mix. And I was thinking, uh, one of the, I read this morning that in Florida, there are no more ICU beds. And, uh, you know, that's one of the places that I think is getting hit hard right now. Texas is another one. And Kelly, I think that we're in a, we're in a world of hurt now and we've got to figure out, uh, as EMS providers, how are we going to handle this? You know, one of the things that uh, I think has been helpful is that, you know, when we think about that first wave, um, you know, I, I don't know that we're in a second wave. I think we're just still in the midst of the first wave that never really went away. Uh, but if uh -huh. there's any is any saving grace is that the EMS agencies that were dealing with it almost got the training to handle now this surge that is starting to come, that they've been able to develop processes, they've been able to refine processes, and now as we start to get into this hunt and into this mix, Maybe they're going to do things a little bit better. I would, I would certainly hope so. But man, I, I sometimes despair uh, <clears throat> of the common sense of the human race. Uh, there are people, you know, you, you see them on social media. You, you, uh, you see them in real life at the stores that that just don't, uh, for whatever reason, uh, don't listen to common sense, and they politicize the entire thing, and and uh, it's it's disheartening sometimes but that leads us to our our uh topic today man um i was thinking uh and nancy and i were discussing the other day how do you inoculate your students or your staffers or, or whoever it is you teach and mentor how do you inoculate them from bs how do you get give them the tools that they need to resist pseudoscience bs peer pressure uh, all this kind of thing, once they're out of your class or, or have, have gone off and sprouted wings on their own uh, and gone to another area. And that's what, we, that's what we're seeing now. You know, I've got some of my students who were good students, they were diligent, they were intelligent people that are now spouting anti-mask and coronavirus uh, um conspiracy memes and stuff on Facebook, and I, I really, I'm kind of disappointed in them, but 
Uh, I know for a fact they weren't taught those things in class, and they seem to have grasped the message. But now that they've gotten out there in the field and they're they're with some of their peers in EMS, they seem to have regressed somewhat. How do you avoid that kind of crap, Chris? Yeah, you know, I think that that's a great question. And I don't know that uh, it really is anything to do with what we're doing and what we're teaching them. I think one of the things that we've got to examine here, is this their own belief or are they falling into the, uh, you know, the political, um, uh, you know, uh, quagmire that's going on of one side versus the other? Is it peer pressure that when you go into an agency now, everything that you've learned and to fit in, you're trying to make the argument that, you know, I, I'm against this? You know, so I think that this is worth examining. And as we start to think about it, I don't know that it's an instructor's fault, but I would like to be able to examine the relationship of the students once we're in school and then once we get out of school. Do we have a responsibility as instructors that we reach out to these folks to see how they're doing once they leave us and once we've given them the mentorship and the, the dedication and the commitment to become professional EMS providers? Or once they leave us, are they on their own and we give them the blessing to say, you know, go forth and don't hurt anybody? But, you know, I think that peer pressure is a big issue when it comes to uh, getting into the organizations. But before that, I think the question I have to you, Kelly, is you, you've been, you know, you're instrumental here in teaching new providers and at the EMT level and you've been instrumental at the paramedic level. And certainly I've taught my EMT classes and my paramedic courses in my career. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I guess, from your side is when they come into your class, not only do they get this big neon sign of the Kelly Grayson reputation of being, uh, you know, the uh, you know the end all beat all of the EMS uh, paragon. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading it. I'm reading it like you wrote it. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I got four more. I got four more sentences to go. But but it's still the point of you know they're coming into your class with a national reputation that you have as an educator, as a great paramedic in the state. And how are you now wrangling them into the, into the process of saying, I'm going to teach you the ways of the force that's going to make you the best EMT Jedi possible? Well, as, as EMTs, it's, it's a good deal easier because they come into, or as EMT students, they come into class, uh, and they don't know who I am. They don't care about my national reputation and, and any of that. But they'll figure out within the first week of class whether I know what I'm doing or not. I firmly believe that. I, I, I've had that attitude uh, about uh, instructors I've taken classes from. You'll know very quickly uh, if you pay attention whether that person is on his game or not or her game and, and knows what he or she is talking about and is a good source to learn from. Um, but as far as, as national reputation or, or, or any kind of word of mouth I get, uh, you know, you don't get that so much in, in an EMT class. Uh, but by the same token, they don't also come in with preconceived notions and bad habits that they've gotten from a career in EMS. Yet, when you teach more advanced classes, people who have, uh, who have, um, are coming to you for advanced EMT or paramedic classes, then you have to worry about breaking the bad habits that developed in the street. Um, you know, w one example was uh, I had a, a student that, that um, flunked the AEMT exam uh, the first time, and some of the questions that he, he had uh, answered incorrectly, he said, uh, 
Um, what do you do? Or one of the questions was, is you had a patient who had a DNR, uh, had a valid signed DNR, and they were apneic and pulses, and family members were, were telling you to, to do something. What do you do? And he answered, start resuscitation. <laughs> and I was like, no, you honor the DNR. The patient had one for a reason. He said, well, no other EMT or paramedic does that. And I said, well, you know, we're right back to the first day of class. I'm not teaching you the screwed up way that people practice it in the field sometimes. I'm teaching you the way it's supposed to be done. I'm not teaching you advanced EMT for XYZ podunk ambulance service. I'm teaching you advanced EMT, period. How it's screwed up at your agency is not my concern. And, you know, I was, but, but people develop bad habits and they think that's the way EMS is supposed to be done. Um, and, Fixing that is, is, or avoiding that sort of thing is, has always been a conundrum. It's not just an EMS either. Chris, when I was a professional retriever trainer, the dogs were easy. The dogs were easy to train. But handing them back to their owners was, was onerous because you knew that all your good work was going to be ruined within the first duck season. Uh, of the bad habits that they, they allowed the dog to develop. And then they, you know, wonder why their dog isn't handling well or, or why their dog isn't minding or has developed these bad habits. And they're like, well, you promoted them. Uh, you encouraged those bad habits and you ignored everything that I told you. So, um, give me another couple of months of training fees and I'll go fix your mistakes. Um, and uh, best plan on doing that uh, for the rest of the dog's life if you're going to continue doing things this way. Um, I, I just, it's, it's frustrating sometimes. Uh, and I would, I would think that when I was teaching human beings with higher reasoning uh, capability that they could avoid the pitfalls uh, that my canine uh, pupils uh, ran into when they got back to their owners. But apparently... Uh, Peer pressure and agency culture is a is a powerful powerful influence that even good teaching can't overcome. Sometimes uh, I'm just you know I'm wondering what strategies that you you could employ or that other educators might employ to kind of make them more resistant to BS and pseudoscience and peer pressure. You know, it, it opens up an interesting question, and I know this is not where we wanted to go with this discussion. Um, you know, because we're talking about the peer pressure. So is the question, we're still, we're still in the classroom then, is the question that do we need to change the focus of how we're teaching people knowing that once we get them in the field, everything that we taught them is going by the wayside? Are we truly then, Kelly, by what you just said, are we truly just teaching them to pass an exam and not to be a professional EMT or paramedic? Because once they get, uh, you know, once their peers get a hold of them, and give them the toxicity that there are inside organizations and talk to them about the way things really are, yeah. are we really wasting our time at the, at, the, at the classroom level of trying to instill confidence, of, of trying to instill professionalism, of trying to instill critical thinking, uh, only because it's not going to take once they get into the, 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 you know, the hands of their handlers. Yeah, and, and you know, that's... That, Chris, that problem right there has been the foundation of my assertion that experience is the most overrated uh, um, element in the development of an EMT or development of a paramedic or whatever. You've heard me say it a million times. There are, there are some paramedics out there with 20 years of experience, and they are vastly outnumbered by the paramedics with one year of experience repeated 20 times. Um, but that's the reason. 
experience is hard to quantify and quite often the experience is bad and people don't know the difference. And, and that's, you know, I would say that, uh, and, and I would agree with you in many cases that, well, well maybe we're not teaching them uh, uh, realistically in, in, in class and, uh, and we're just teaching them to pass a test, but I don't do that. Uh, I, I teach them, um, uh, I try to incorporate realism and real-life scenarios as much as possible uh, in class. And one of my, my uh, axioms in EMS is you have to create uh, teachable moments in class. Uh, I did that in, the, in training retrievers. I do that in, in educating EMT students. And when I say create teachable moments is when you, when you start to build skills uh, and knowledge on, and, and use that pyramid principle, uh, the closer students uh, get toward mastery, um, the fewer mistakes there are, uh, yet the mistakes that they do make uh, are potentially much more severe um, and have greater ramifications. So what you have to do is add layers of complexity to trip them up and to make them make mistakes in class where they, be, they can be corrected because you know that in the field, whether that be in the duck blind or in the back of an ambulance, uh, real life is going to create enough teachable moments on its own, yet they're going to be lacking an effective mentor and an effective educator to help them learn the lesson from that teachable moment. So I try to create, create those in class. You know, I, I would take my dogs and when they're, when they're um, uh, performing well uh, on the training field with no distractions, you know, and then I take them out to a, a local park where everyone in the world wants to come up and make kissy faces with the dog and try to distract them and see if they can handle, handle the, the distraction and still remember their obedience lessons. And, and, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, add varying degrees of complexity to the retrieves that they were having to make and, 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 uh, knowing, uh, the tendency of the dogs and, and what mistakes they were going to make so that I could correct it. Uh, in the field, uh, because those things are going to happen in the duck blind, and their owners are incapable of, of fixing it. Uh, but they still get those teachable moments, and they don't learn the proper lesson from them. They learn quite often the exact wrong lesson from them. And my only answer is, is I don't know if we can do that, uh, if we can stop that process other than attrition. Turn out better people better EMTs with better BS defense mechanisms and deal through attrition, uh, the idiots have left EMS, and what's left are people who have good habits and, and understand that, that learning is a lifelong process. Uh, I just am starting to get discouraged that it's going to happen in my lifetime and I can actually see it <laughs> implemented in the field. Yeah, man, I think it, but I think it gets to be a lot easier than that. And I'm going I'm to give you my opinion on exactly what you just said. But before we do that, Pulsera is the only first net listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and the receiving ED, Pulsera One unites teams seamlessly on a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG and image upload, audio data, and key benchmark. Pulsera United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsera makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate. For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. 
That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. You know, Kelly, so you went on a little bit of a rant where you talked about how you were training the people in your class and giving them teachable moments and, you know, and, and you know, there, there was a little sound of discouragement in your voice as you were talking yeah. about this process. But I don't know that the, you know, I asked the question, do are we just teaching people to pass an exam? Because once they get out into the field, they're, you know, reverting to whatever the, uh, uh, you know, the, the culture is within the organizations they get into? Or is the, is the answer that we just need to be able to give them the, the armor they need, you know, the sword and the armor they need to combat that culture once they get into the EMS agency? I think what we need to be able to talk to them about is what attrition looks like inside an EMS agency within the first year. Um, what they're going to come up against when it comes to crispy EMTs and paramedics that are in the field. How are they going to define their reputation as a provider? If they're going to go into an agency and start to follow the masses, and then it's going to put themselves in a position now, they're going to get a finger pointed at them as they're the problem child or they're the cancers in the organization. Now they have to worry about the rehabilitation of their professional relation or their professional mm-hmm. reputation as they now think about EMS in the next two, three, or four years, again, this goes back to the show that we had, is EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone? But I think what we have to be able to give them the tools to combat is, who do you define as a professional? As you go into uh-huh. your career as an EMT and get your first job, what do you want your first year to look like? And then what do you want the rest of your career to look like? And I think that this is the missing component. You know, we're giving them the education. I can't believe that you're doing a horrible job in training these people to pass the exam and to be great EMTs, only for them to get into the agencies now and then fall victim to a toxic culture. I think that has to be the direction that we're looking at. It's not how we're teaching them the the science of EMS, but we're not giving them the tools to deal with the toxicity of an organizational culture. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that that's that's not limited to EMS. You know, every parent struggles with with uh, you know to teach their children right from wrong and and to instill in them a, a strong moral code and make them more resistant to peer pressure and and uh, and I think confidence uh, in in uh, yourself and high self esteem so that you're less swayed by other people's opinions is part and parcel of that. And I try to I try to do that same thing in my EMT classes. Uh, and that may help with individual, uh, you know, uh, against peer pressure from individuals. Uh, I wonder, though, how much of the toxic culture stems from the top down uh, and, and that eventually the culture uh, is, is shaped by the leadership of the agency simply because they don't value the type of people uh, and the type of EMTs that we're putting out, uh, you find this. So you, you try to create uh, critical thinkers and people with with clinical reasoning and, and clinical uh, reasoning skills, uh, and people who can problem solve. When all too often, what operations managers want in many EMS agencies is people with cards who will shut up and follow uh, directions uh, and won't question. And that's not necessarily a slap at, at any particular EMS agency. It's, it's human nature. People don't want, in general, uh, they don't want complex answers. And they don't want 
questioning. They would rather have a simple answer to a complex problem, and they they tolerate uh, uh, ambiguity only if you you if they absolutely have to. You know, everyone wants the simple answer to things, and and. You know, when I when I in class, I try to teach people that that uh, you're going to have to embrace and accept ambiguity because there there is no easy answer, um, and uh, you're just going to have to to uh, adapt and overcome. Uh, yet you get in the field, um, and the the agency leadership uh, um, instills this attitude that uh, the only answers are the easy answers, and they don't like it depends. Uh, and they want them to be protocol monkeys rather than critical thinkers and, and uh, problem solvers. And that kind of destroys what we're doing. So, so how as an agency leader do you help people develop and, and help combat that peer pressure and everything? Is it, is it something that you can do and a leader can do from the top down uh, to sort of uh, um, squash that that negative culture uh, before it ever gets started? How do you promote uh, critical thinkers and and people who can understand nuance and ambiguity and embrace it uh, rather than people who pick the convenient but dumb and wrong answer? You know, I think that that's a good question, and there's so many different answers that you have in there, or so many questions that you have in there, it's, it's really hard to figure out where to start. But as far as the culture goes within an organization, you have to be able to understand the science of leadership to ensure that you're developing a, a positive culture. Remember this, and, and I talk about this all the time. It's imperative that the, the organization that you work for has a vision, and that vision is you know given to everybody. Everybody needs to know the vision. And the reason for that is, is that we are wired to think in pictures. We've got to be able to see the mm -hmm. picture of what, ex of what excellence looks like and where the organization is going, number two is you've got to be able to make certain that everybody understands their responsibility into reaching the organizational vision of success. Number Then you've got to remember that there are goals to reach the vision. How are we going to become, you know, the, how are we going to deliver the highest quality of patient care? How are we going to become leaders in our community? How are we going to become role models for our career field? Those are the goals that reach the vision. Now, the organizational culture is the behavior of the organization on route to reaching the vision, right? So you want to be able to have a culture where people feel empowered, people are engaged, people are satisfied, which now equates to them being productive and then giving the highest quality of patient care. So from a culture standpoint, we have to be able to change the paradigm of who we are as leaders, get out of the positions of command and control, get out of the net of leading from a position of authority, and realize that we've got to be able to serve the people who are doing the job. And I'm getting off here on a soapbox, but this is something that's really near and dear to my heart. Yeah. If the true, the true measurement of leadership success is how engaged, satisfied your workforce is, your success is really the success of the workforce. We don't put the efforts into the workforce that we need to, that we need to to ensure that they're going to be successful. So the mentality and the psychology of an organization has to be from the leadership side to say, you don't work for me, but I work for you. If my success is based on your success as a, as a member of the workforce, that my success is going to be determined on your engagement and your satisfaction and your productivity, then I've got to be able to do everything I can to make sure that this organization is where you want to be, that this is a championship organization, that you now belong to a world-class organization, 
that you now are part of this community, that you now, you now, you now, you now. And, I'm, and I think that a lot of my peers and EMS as leaders don't have that mentality to say, we need to create a culture that's positive, that steps towards the vision every day, instead of saying, you know what, you guys develop your own culture. There's, there's, a, there's a, a mismatch, Kelly, between what uh -huh. the leaders of an organization think the culture is and what the culture really is on the ground. Yeah. And there's that disconnect in many places. There's that disconnect, right? You have to be able to be more hands-on. You've got to be able to instill the culture that you want. You've got to be able to make certain that you're, you're heading towards the vision, that you're working towards the plans to reach the vision, and that the behavior of the organization is that of the culture of success. It's all about success. It's all about engagement. It's all about satisfaction. If us as EMS leaders aren't focusing on that, we are failing our workforce, my friend. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I get that totally. Uh, it's, it's the devil is in the details. So how, how, do, how does an agency go about doing those things? Let me, let me pose this question to you. What do you, traditionally, we've always made continuing education, uh, the responsibility of the in individual. Now, many agencies provide all the continuing education that an individual needs for recertification every period, um, and, and they may do it for free. Uh, the good ones really do, and they provide all that you need, uh, but you're still free to seek out individual education elsewhere. But as an agency, um, uh, uh, we don't really hold people's feet to the fire. It's the individual's responsibility to, to do what's necessary to maintain their certification. Um, what do you think about uh, agencies teaching uh, uh, and, and, you know, incentivizing it somehow uh, that an agency uh, provides continuing education and professional development for its employees, be that tied to reimbursement or or uh, preference points in, in obtaining grants or, or whatever, uh, or, or even a, a tiered reimbursement system where the top EMS agencies who have all of these benchmarks and mechanisms in place get the best, uh, the highest reimbursement uh, rates, whereas the ones who, who don't meet those criteria get reimbursed at a, at a lower rate. And the reason I'm saying this is, is because, you know, as I, uh, I said just a few seconds ago, the devil is in the details. National Registry uh, knows uh, and has acknowledged that, that uh, we need better education in science and better education in EMS research. Uh, that's why under the National Continued Competency Program, uh, it's a national requirement for people to, to be educated every couple of years in EMS research and, and evidence-based medicine. Yet, what passes for education in, in EMS research and evidence-based medicine in most refresher curricula and most continuing education is this stultifyingly boring thing that people do because they have to, and they don't internalize the lessons from it. Um, and I don't know that we'll ever get people who are resistant to, to that sort of education to internalize those lessons, but uh, You'd think that that maybe agencies would be more receptive to to uh, um, the the cost of of providing good education in that regard, be more willing to to shoulder the load. What do you think about making agencies a little more responsible for it rather than just the individual? 
Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you know, tying those things to reimbursement, it's, I mean, it's never going to happen. I mean, I think that that's just a, uh, you know, that's just a wish. But, 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 but let me please my quest for world domination. That's right. Well, that's what it's going to have to come to because, you know, right there, yeah. people who pay the bills right now, they, they don't give a crap about, you know, who's delivering the care. But here's, uh, here's very simply, Kelly, here's very simply, it's the right thing to do. Right? Yeah. Because you got to remember, let's go back to my discussion about the success of the organization. Really, it's based on the success of the workforce. When, when, you come to my, when you come to my organization and I hire you as an EMT or as a paramedic, you have a certain amount of knowledge. You have a certain amount of skill. You have a certain amount of experience. If I'm happy, let's, and let's just give that a number on a 10 scale. Let's say that's a 6. If I'm happy with you being a 6 provider, I've got nothing to do as a leader. But if yeah. I truly want my organization to become a 10, to set the standards for others to follow, to now be leaders in my community and role models for my career field, I need to be able to make you a 10. I need to be able to take that little bit of knowledge and experience and skill that you have and bring you to your next level, whether that's through uh, um, competency-based training, whether that's through leadership training, whether that's through... I've got to be able to take that responsibility, right? If my organization truly needs to become the best that we can be, and remember, our job as leaders, and we're getting so far off the discussion, I think, of where we started, <laughs> but, you know, but our job as leaders is to get the very best out of the workforce. Now, do I get the very best out of Kelly Grayson, who's a five, or do I get the very best out of Kelly Grayson, who I help become a six, seven, eight, nine? Because as I now bring the level of my organization up, with growing the providers in both a cognitive sense and a psychomotor sense, you know, in a professional development sense, now my organization is an eight on an average. And now when those people come in, those mentors are now going to say, hey, wait a minute, this is an eight organization. You're not going to come here spouting that BS and try to bring this organization down. This is the way we do things here. In the yeah. absence of that, the way that we do things here is that, you get to set the culture, and you get to pick what we want to do. So one of the things that I did as a best practice was, um, you know, we hear all the time about, you know, pediatrics being the biggest call and the trepidation of the paramedics and because they don't see them all the time or whatever. But if we know that as leaders, we're just as culpable as they are if we don't help them grow that weakness into a skill. When a mother hands yeah. a paramedic a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest, that's not the time to figure out that you're not comfortable with that arrest. Now, with that said, I've got to do everything I can that I know if that's a weakness in my paramedics to make sure that that becomes a strength. Well, one of the things that we would do all the time is our, our continuing education program was built on CQI, right? So we knew uh -huh. that if there was a failure in this area, we needed to build some professional development and we needed to, you know, help them get over the hump. So we see our CQI to be better at the end of the next couple. I mean, that's a crappy way to run education, right? Yeah. They're not doing something. They're not doing something because they're choosing not to do something. It's the normalization of deviance that's causing them to not uh -huh. do something, right? So I do agree that there should be education based on quality assurance. But the thing that we did as a best practice was we give our employees a 100-question, 150-question exam every year, and we categorize those 10 questions in trauma, 10 questions in respiratory, 10, 10 questions in cardiology, blah, 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 blah. 
and then we grade it. And wherever you're low in, we develop a personal improvement plan to that individual paramedic's, you know, weakness. So then at the end of the year, you know, if, if Kelly Grayson doesn't need to get cardiology because I've got to do some cardiology education because my CQI says so, but wait a minute, his pediatric knowledge sucks. I'm going to give him specialized pediatric training. So yep. when we think about the development of the organization, the development has to be uh, of the organization globally, but then it has to be done individually because yep. Kelly Grayson doesn't need 12 lead knowledge, but God, he can use some whatever, sepsis. You know what I mean? So yeah. when we think, we're going on and on and on, but, you know, again, when, my, when I have world domination and whatever the heck you're, you're, uh -huh. you know, you're saying is, <laughs> but this is the really how you run an organization. Yeah. We've got to be yeah. able to take these people in and not just, we go through this whole big process of hiring them, and then we sit them in the truck and say, yeah, don't, don't cause me any problems. Well, that's not leadership, man. That's not leadership. No, no. That's, that's autopilot. Uh, and, and, you know, usually you, you can't run the entire flight on autopilot. Um, that's what the NCCP was, was built on. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be a, a self-assessment test that, that uh, providers took every year to determine their weak areas and their individual uh, continuing education component was focused on uh, correcting those, those weak areas from that uh, self-assessment test. The problem was is that National Registry couldn't, uh, was unable to develop a, a well-validated uh, self-assessment test. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. We want to hear from you, the educator and the manager and the mentor, and the providers. As, as educators and, and mentors and field training officers, how do you instill good habits in your students, and how do you make them resistant to peer pressure and the negative influence of toxic culture? And for the newbies out there, why is it easier for you to follow the opinion of some burnout rather than what you learned in the EMT class. I'd be interested in hearing your answers. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, thank you guys for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you next week. <laughs>